This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know from CQ Roll Call's reporters in Washington. I'm Sean Zeller. Today is Wednesday, June 10th. The country is reeling from the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. And protests demanding police accountability continue. Still, the pandemic is very much with us, even though much of the country is reopening. In fact, 24 states are reporting a rise in the number of cases. Today, we will look at what the government foresees for the economy and some of the policy issues around education. We begin with CQ Roll Call's Jim Saxa, who listened to the Treasury Secretary on the success of the Paycheck Protection Program. It was a love fest in 301 Russell today, as the Senate Small Business Committee held a Paycheck Protection Program oversight hearing with Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and Small Business Administration Chief Jovita Carranza. Florida Republican Marco Rubio is the committee's chairman and the program's chief architect. Despite its rocky rollout, Rubio sounded pretty pleased with the program. The bumps in the road were and are the price to pay, unfortunately, for a program that, in hindsight, we now know is among the most successful programs that government has ever done to rescue an economy. Rubio wasn't alone in taking a bow for the PPP. This has been a proud moment of our Senate uh, careers in working together to develop three very, very important programs to help small businesses during COVID-19. That was ranking member Ben Cardin of Maryland crowing about the forgivable loan program and other coronavirus lifelines Congress tossed to small businesses in March. There is plenty of praise to go around for the program. To date, 4.5 million businesses have received loans totaling more than $510 billion. That's more than all of the stimulus spending during the 2008 recession. That's an historic amount of money injected into the economy in record time, says Secretary Mnuchin. The SBA and Treasury worked together to launch this unprecedented program in a very, very short period of time. In less than two months, the PPP is supporting the employment of approximately 50 million workers and more than 75% of the small business payroll in all 50 states. This is an extraordinary achievement, and we appreciate the work of this committee. To the extent the committee had criticism, it was pretty lighthearted. Here's Utah Republican Mitt Romney. I also recognize there have been a few, more than a few glitches and concerns and, and, and uh, uh, errors uh, that have occurred, but I'm, I'm thinking about the banana stand on Arrested Development. If they went from two customers to 2,000 customers, it would make it kind of difficult for the guy dipping the bananas in the chocolate sauce and the peanuts and so forth. And you have had to staff up very quickly, and I think uh, what you have done is, has been to rescue many, many uh, jobs for our, for our country, and I appreciate that very much. The senators managed to get a few questions in between all the back padding. Republican Tim Scott of South Carolina asked Mnuchin about next steps. I definitely think we are going to need another bipartisan uh, legislation to put more money into the economy. Mnuchin added that the next bill should target the hardest-hit industries like restaurants and retail. He also wants the next package to address unemployment insurance and maybe offer a return-to-work bonus. All of the self-congratulating may turn out to be premature. The Paycheck Protection Program's hardest challenge may be processing the loan forgiveness applications, and businesses are only beginning to file those. 
While most PPP borrowers have lauded the program, it hasn't helped everyone. The money was slow to get out to both smaller and black-owned businesses. So far, 100,000 small businesses have closed permanently during the pandemic, and more still could. And despite some good jobs figures last week, the Federal Reserve still predicts we'll be stuck in a deep recession well into next year. And most troubling of all, coronavirus cases are now increasing in 24 states. So despite all the victory laps today, this race ain't over. Now to CQ Roll Call's Ellen Ferguson, who has the latest on school lunches. About 30 million children are fed at school, 21 million for free. Unclear plans for the next school year mean confusion for meal providers. Many school boards have not decided exactly how they're going to reopen after closing to limit the transmission of COVID-19. They may try to do things like long-distance learning or a mix of um, the kids being in class from time to time, uh, certain days, and then doing long-distance learning. But the people who have to feed the kids, the school cafeteria workers and the food directors, are trying to figure out how exactly they'll be able to do that. And they are seeking some what we call waivers or continued exemptions or continued waivers from some of the rules that are in place for the federal school lunch and school breakfast program. They got those waivers or exemptions shortly after uh, the school started closing during the 2019-2020 school year and allowed them to continue to feed kids, particularly kids who qualify for free or reduced price meals. And those kids tend to be low income. Um, And they also tend to rely heavily on schools for those daily meals. So as they're trying to plan for what's going to happen in the fall, they're looking for a continuation of these exemptions or waivers so they can continue to be flexible. I talked to a couple of uh, school food directors who are in the process of trying to figure out what it is that they're going to be able to do. You know, if you are feeding kids in the classroom, what kind of foods can you transport to the classroom that are not messy or spillable? If you are um, trying to do things like continue your bus routes where you've been delivering food to certain stops, um, are you going to, how much food are you going to have to deliver if the kids are in the class three days a week but at home learning two days a week. So those are kind of fine points and require a lot of planning. I invite you to read my story about the school year, going back to school, and what that might mean for those who feed kids on a day-to-day basis. And now to Mary Ellen McIntyre with a look at the latest health news and the debate over reopening schools for the fall semester. While the nationwide curve of COVID-19 cases continues to go down, in many states, the number of cases is actually going up. Data shows that the number of cases are rising in Arizona, Arkansas, North Carolina, Texas, and other states. Across the country, officials are also preparing for students to return to school this fall, which was the subject of a Senate hearing on Wednesday. There was an understanding that education at K-12 schools this fall might not be either all virtual or all in-person, but will differ based on what's happening with the virus in a given area, and that students might get a mix of in-person and virtual learning next year. 
Help Committee Chairman Lamar Alexander asked the witnesses to provide some data soon about how much money it could cost a state or school district to safely reopen schools next year. Some challenges that are expected with continuing to do at least some education virtually is the digital divide and whether families have the right devices and enough devices for their children to do work and to also ensure that students have internet access to do that work. Another challenge will be to make up for the widening achievement gap, which may have increased for some students this year because of the transition to distance learning. And another factor for districts to consider is what to do if students aren't necessarily at school every day of the week, but their parents can't easily work from home on the days where they're not in school. Schools are going to be making all of these decisions in the coming months as we're expected to keep learning more about the virus that causes COVID-19. This week, the back and forth with the World Health Organization about how common asymptomatic spread is underscores that we're still learning about this virus. The WHO's Outbreak Investigation Task Force had to walk back some comments she made about asymptomatic patients spreading the virus rarely. In fact, some models show that up to 40% of virus transmissions may be from asymptomatic people. So clearly, scientists, officials are still learning a lot about this virus and looking at models and figuring out how this is all going. The back and forth of the WHO comes as U.S. lawmakers are considering the country's relationship with the World Health Organization after President Trump recently announced he would terminate it with the Global Health Group. Lawmakers say they don't know exactly how the U.S.'s relationship will change with the WHO, but that they are committed to continuing to contribute to global health broadly. Finally tonight, pharmaceutical companies Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson plan to move ahead to stage three testing of possible vaccines for the coronavirus this summer. Though a hopeful sign, many vaccine candidates fail in that final stage of testing, which typically lasts six to eight months. That's all from the CQ on Congress coronavirus special report. From all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for listening.